0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We are here to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on the 6th of September, 2017. So if you haven't read those comics yet, pause the podcast, go read them, come back to us, and we will talk. But first, we have a little bit of sad news uh, to report. We are recording this on Sunday, the 10th of of, uh, September, and uh, we just found out via Twitter a few hours ago that DC and Marvel legend, writer, editor, Len Wein has passed away. Um, I don't believe A Cause of Death has been released yet, boys, has it? Not that I've seen, but... I know he tweeted out a couple days ago that he just came out of surgery. And so I know he had been undergoing a number of surgeries, I don't know for what, but it seems like he's been in the hospital for quite some time. And uh, for those that aren't aware, Wein... uh, is the co-creator of Wolverine, the co-creator of Swamp Thing. He edited DC books for a very long time. He wrote a lot of the sort of horror DC stuff, the House of Mystery, and uh, the aforementioned Swamp Thing. He did a long run on Superman. He's, uh... I mean, he's probably one of the... Would you guys agree? One of the, like, ten or so best-known creators of his era?
1: Of his era, yeah, yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I have always thought it was kind of strange that, like, he, you know, he's the creator of probably, under Superman, maybe, and Batman, like, the most popular comic book character ever, um, but he he doesn't get quite the recognition I would expect from that.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's because Wolverine was introduced... As a villain at first, mm-hmm. or at least as a not as like a shiny hero, and right then,
2: he wasn't yeah the the one who like kind of defined him as much right, and
0: then I was gonna say you know he didn't really come into prominence until he was part of a team, and so you know that's just it's a little bit of a different like career arc right yeah a character
2: but but just like such a stellar career though if you like look at all of the things that he was. You know, responsible for or or worked in—it's really kind of crazy.
0: I feel like just guys of his generation had their fingers in so many different books that even even if they were doing long runs on things, it just seemed like everybody was working on maybe they're working on more books. I'm not sure quite sure how to put it, but it just seemed like they were doing so much more with their time. Like Jason Aaron will never touch as many books over his career as Len Wein did and Aaron's written a whole lot already. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's just a different type of industry now.
1: Well, don't don't you think part of that is because um there were fewer books being published and like if you go back to the 60s at Marvel, it was like Stan Lee and a few other people and they basically built Marvel out of that. And everybody probably had story- it was probably more like like now, you've got, you know, one editor does the X books, one editor does the Spider Man books, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, it was probably a tighter operation, I would think.
0: So once you were in, you were, you were touching everything, kind of.
1: I imagine there was a lot of, you know, there a lot more back and forth than say, like, like right now. Can you imagine, like, DC's publishing, like how many titles 30 some
0: yeah something like that
1: yeah so there's no way that like the people in the green lantern books are really interacting with the people in the bat books all that much you know unless there's a crossover right whereas i feel like in you know for a while in comics it was a very tight editorial uh situation
2: Yeah, and it's also worth noting that he, like, was an editor and a writer, which isn't as common anymore. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I wonder if we're going to see that ever happen again, where I feel like now the arc goes neither way. Like, it used to be, like, Peter Tomasi got his start as an editor and then became a writer. And then someone like, I think, uh, like a Paul Levitz or a Len Wein started as a writer and then became an editor. And it seems like those careers have totally uncoupled each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like nobody, yeah. nobody makes that transition anymore.
1: Tomasi's like the last one I can think of that did that that I know of.
0: Yeah, I wonder why that is. Yeah. I I mean, part of it might just be that editorial means something very different now, and the skill set isn't what it used to be
1: yeah
0: anyway rest in peace for Len Wein it's uh truly a sad day for comics and uh we uh we wish his family and friends the best and on that happy note let's talk about Bane Conquest number five <laughs> written by Chuck Dixon illustrated by Graham Nolan uh we get a Catwoman appearance for the second straight issue uh this is the time every month when I say I can't believe this is a 12 issue miniseries <laughs> and go
1: yeah so can i talk about um well you brought up Catwoman. there's a pa- there's a panel in this issue where she says you're juicing up and i'm thinking has she not met bane that's <laughs> that's kind of his thing right like yeah. what's the one thing you know about bane <laughs> he <laughs>
0: He's whoa, whoa, on... Jose Canseco, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> right? Like which which brings further questions into place about when this book is supposed to be taking place or if it has anything to do with um the Tom King shit that we just read a few months ago.
0: I can't um, imagine it's in continuity.
1: No, it really doesn't seem like it, but like that's to be incredulous that Bane is using some sort of steroidal drug is—I th- I think she, mo-
0: I, not to come to Chuck Dixon's defense here, but it seems to me like she was referring to at that moment. It was odd that he was juicing up.
1: Yeah, well, I prefer my my way is funnier. It is so. funnier,
0: and I, I prefer <laughs> your way as well. So let's go with that. Um, at
1: this at this point, I'm really just reading this book to find joke material. <laughs> yeah. So. We'll, we'll, we'll get I some I more really of that shortly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on in it. So, <laughs> so, and then what, one more thing I'd like to talk about before I never want to think about this issue again
0: Okay,
1: is I don't think I've ever talked about this on this show, but I know that I've complained about this online for like years and years. One of my major pet peeves in storytelling in general, not just comics, is when – you have a character of a different ethnicity or a different ethnic background. And every once in a while they pepper (laughs) a foreign word into their speech. They speak English and then they'll toss in like a,
0: what are you talking about? Essay?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which is like, that's not really how (laughs) people talk, you know, like, (laughs) Like I speak, I, I speak to people who are English second language all the time, and when they're speaking English, they don't just throw in random <laughs> right. foreign words, you know. Like, and I understand that that's a storytelling device to let us the reader know that, um, that they are whatever ethnicity. But when you read it, it comes off as so. That was my big problem with Jurgens Justice League International from the New Fifty Two. Every character had to like throw in their whatever their you know their language was like once every speech bubble or whatever <laughs> and these characters just came off as big caricatures you know but what i like think about uh, new superman right mm-hmm. i love the way that that book handles it where they say look every there's everything they're saying is um
0: is in mandarin Chinese, is, yeah. yeah
1: is in mandarin and the words that are highlighted are not. That's when they're speaking the English word. You know, that's great. Or when they, when they write it, it write the language out, and then they translate it also in like a editor's box or a bubble below it. You know,
0: or or but it's the, in brackets or whatever they do or to it's indicate. In brackets yeah, to, to indicate that it's all a different language.
1: I just it comes off so stupid to me when it's like one word here and there, and they're always like the most. Like, uh, okay, the one Russian word I know is Dasvidaniya, so I'm going to have him say that at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it just drives me. That's been a pet peeve of mine for years.
0: The Um, only way I will accept it is, like, I remember watching, I was a big fan of the show Six Feet Under, and there, there were a couple of characters in that show who were Hispanic, but they would only use it, like, when speaking in nicknames to one another. And that felt a little bit more like genuine okay, if at home you're speaking Spanish and you're calling each other Mijo or whatever, like that's that's yeah. that's more acceptable because you're speaking to one another and it seem it's not like it just it like you said, I was speaking to somebody this morning whose first language is not English and they were not like peppering into the conversation <laughs> random words to show me that English isn't their first language.
1: <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. It's it just yeah, there's a very specific way that that they, that writers do this that annoys me because it's not the way people talk, you know.
0: Yeah, and especially like I feel like Bane is wearing a luchador mask. What else do you <laughs> need to know? Right. <laughs> so, anyway, Zach, anything to add? Not a thing. Didn't think so. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Batman. Number thirty, the War of Jokes and Riddles interlude, part two, Ballad of the Kite Man again. Uh, written by Thomas King, illustrated by Clayton Mann. I don't know. I don't know if Clayton is his real name. You, I, I said Thomas. So I don't know. I'm fucking like. around. Cause what the fuck, guys? Uh, yeah. Um, this this is an issue of Tom King's Batman. So, uh Zach, were you ever much of a Simpsons guy?
2: Yeah, I watched the Simpsons daily, like, in syndication, probably from, like, age, I, I don't know, like, sometime in elementary school, and then, like, through the time that I lived in my parents' household, basically.
0: Okay, so both of you guys should understand what I'm about to say. Isn't the Kite Man just Gil from the Simpsons? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Just everything that could fucking go wrong for this guy goes wrong for him. This issue spends like ten pages elaborating on how his dead kid thinks he's a joke.
1: (laughs) Yep. And boy, do they spend a lot of time on that.
2: Oh my goodness. Like, okay.
1: That's like really dark stuff. (laughs) Yes, it is.
0: (laughs)
2: I don't and I mean I got I don't have kids, so I don't know, but I don't that kid was like really belaboring that point. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. It's like, funny haha joke or funny strange dad? What do you <laughs> what'd you mean here?
1: <laughs> that like that's a kid you know how like <clears throat> Well Zach, you don't have kids yet, but like Brian, do you know you know how like when you well, you've probably done this too, Zach, so what am I saying? But like you know when you talk to a kid about Santa or whatever and you have to like tell little fibs? Yes. Like, I I feel like most of the time, you know, kids might ask you a question or two, but then they're like, oh, okay, you know. This kid, there's no, this kid has already figured out that there's, Santa's not real, you know, because he's, well, wait a minute. What do you mean he does this all in one night? Well, that's impossible, you know, and like, there's just no, you know, yeah. But isn't that the thing about Tom King's dialogue? Like, of course this kid. Because the kid needs more dialogue, I've got to write more dialogue for him, so and I have to have him repeat things.
0: but it's not even more dialogue, it's just the same dialogue. I feel' That's like,
1: what I'm saying repeat yeah, yeah, it's repeating Ugh, it's
0: so frustrating um, so
1: here's the thing. I actually think that this the ballad of Kiteman is with a with a a tighter script that doesn't do so many Tom Kingy things, is actually a pretty decent, even if it's really dark, like interlude. Kind of like the way that it works as a story, but it's such a. It, I want to bash my head against the wall while I'm reading it because of how over the top it is. Yeah. From a dialogue perspective. Like the part in the beginning when he's talking to Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and they say, you know, who, who does the Joker have that hits as hard as Batman or whatever? Yeah. And then Kite Man says, yeah. Who hits as hard as Batman? Why is he repeating that for effect? There's no effect there, you know. There's no effect to, to have him repeat that. It's it's just the way that Tom King writes. So he thinks he has to write that way all the time. I I don't I don't get it. Like
0: there were a couple of parts of this issue that left me utterly speechless. Uh, first of all. Did you guys catch the Batman Forever reference?
2: Batman Forever? No. When I've, I've probably only seen that movie like once or twice and it's been a very
0: long time. Oh, okay. I saw that movie in the movie theater at least three times because I was like 10 when it came out, whatever. Um, but uh, when... Is it the title page? No, it's... So, the, the the page after uh, Kite Man has the shit kicked out of him by by Batman, and he's, like, hanging there. He's hanging in front of us, uh, graffiti that says, who's afraid of the big black bat? Which is what Jim Carrey says in Batman Forever. Which is just a weird oh, thing to reference. Yeah, we've talked about that before. That was on the
1: cover of one of the issues.
0: Yeah, it's very weird. Because I, I, I don't believe that's, like, a Riddler thing outside of that film.
2: Well, this, this arc has also been, like, very referential
0: of, of the those films. early films. yeah. yeah. Uh, but the thing that really bothered me about this, really bothered me about this, does it fuck anybody else up that Batman took a side here? And, like, Batman is standing there while the Riddler is like, hey... Kite Man, I killed your kid, and you're still a schmuck. And Batman that, is yes. just like standing there with a with a Riddler patch on his arm.
1: Oh, he's like, oh, I
0: guess that's okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, he killed the kid, but you know, he's got a point. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine that. That that seems yeah. so out of character to me. Which I'm sure there, you would think in this
2: type of story that the next issue will like, you know. So this is coming off of the the issue where. Bruce had the dinner so that he could like quote unquote decide on who to side with. Uh, And I guess like you're left to assume like, okay, he decided to side with the Riddler, but we're getting it from the side of the villains and the next issue, we would get context for what's going on. And I almost kind of like, I couldn't remember what side Clayface was on, but I half expected like it to be Clayface pretending to be Batman the whole time or something like that, but that didn't happen. Mm.
0: That's interesting. But this take Don't forget, though, no, this takes place, like, years before Detective.
2: No, not... not. But as, like, if he was on the Riddler side, he could pretend to be being Batman so that Joker oh, would think that I Batman see. was on... Ah, you see what I mean? Okay, like, yeah, the yeah, deception yeah. thing? It's yeah. funny
1: you say that, Zach, because, uh... Cause well, never mind. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh... Yeah, that's, um... That was a really weird part, and I'm sure, like you know, he's telling Catwoman this story about the War of Jokes and Riddles, and I'm sure, like, that's one of the things that he regrets or like feels bad about. But still, it just rings totally false. That like so much of this rings false, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like he would do any of this. <laughs> I feel like he. I feel like he would have found a completely different solution to this problem.
0: Right. Exactly. I feel like the the entire point of Batman is like there is no compromise. Justice needs to be served.
2: Yeah, I. I mean, this whole, we've already had like weird issues with um this like portrayal of Batman and how he seems to cross a lot of weird lines. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I just feel like killing somebody's kid has to always be Batman's line. He doesn't cross. Or, like, allowing somebody to kill somebody else's innocent child. Like, that should never even be a question of, would Batman be cool with that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just weird.
0: Yeah. But you're right, Vince. I feel like a lot of this could work if it just wasn't so Tom Kingy.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's just a, there's there's just the way that it's written, and then just a few story choices that are just bizarre to me. But like, it's not far from a really compelling story. It's a, it's a really compelling idea, and I just don't. I'll, something always seems to go wrong with this run, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, well, oh, we were... got two
2: we got two issues left, so that's it? Of this run, yeah. Oh, well, I mean hey, this, this... I mean that's
0: Arc, I mean, yeah. Did you
1: guys see that he's going a hundred issues on this thing?
0: He had said that before, yeah. <laughs>
1: that's his plan, yeah.
0: Uh so so there's one other thing I I want to point out. There's a page in here where the Joker is speaking like in an auditorium and uh he's not speaking to anybody, it appears you see he's talking to, like an empty auditorium. But in the back of the auditorium, there are all these signs that say the joke's on you, and it has the Joker's face on them. Does he have, like, a print shop working for him? <laughs> or, like, does he go to, like, you know, um, Cafe Press com and, like, have these posters ordered for himself?
1: So I just, you want to know where he gets these wonderful toys is what you're...
0: These wonderful accessories, specifically. <laughs> but it just seems, that, again, it's like such a weird thing to have there. That doesn't doesn't add anything to the story. That's, I feel like, Tom King's Batman in a nutshell. There are these ideas that aren't necessarily on their face terrible, but they're executed in a way where every little detail, whether you want it or not, is right in front of your face with no real explanation.
1: Yeah. <sighs>
0: All right. Well, that brings us to Bombshells United, number one. Uh, written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Marguerite Savage, And um, were you guys fully caught up with the Bombshells story?
2: Yes. No, I'm not.
0: Yeah, I was... I, I have not read regularly in, in probably six months or so. So a lot of this did not feel totally out of place, but I wasn't completely caught up on it. Uh, Vince, does this pretty much pick up right where the last uh, series left off?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, they kind of... Um, yes, but they kind of drop you into this, the Japanese internment thing, you know, Uh basically, basically they expect you to have a little bit of an understanding of history. And then they kind of explain, they catch you up within like the first 10 pages. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I didn't feel lost at all in this.
1: And then there's not much, like it is a continuation of the first series, but it's not relying on a lot From that, in this first issue, anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so it's clearly connected, but it's not like they're not naming a bunch of characters and situations that you have no reference for, right? Um, I thought it was, uh, it was fun to see uh, Yuki and Yuri from the the Babstar Batgirl, yeah. Uh, series in here. Um, I really like this book. I liked it before. Uh, I like it now. I always love uh, Marguerite Sauvage's art. Um, it's fantastic. I feel like she does like. A, I feel like all artists do this when they get on one of these digital first books. They do like a little bit of a rougher version of their normal style. Uh huh. I don't know if the. I, I don't know if that's true or if that's just my like bias but
0: i wonder if there's a quicker turnaround time so maybe, yeah, maybe they don't yeah, have they the just, time to just... uh, you know to labor over it so much
1: and maybe dc is just maybe they're just like you know just crank this out and it's fine you know not that this i mean it's I, good i like i it. thought it looked really good like
2: i feel i thought it looked better than like a lot of stuff a lot of monthly stuff really like and maybe oh. that's just like to credit her as an artist in general yeah but... she's,
1: she's great i'm just saying if you compare it to she did a couple issues of wonder woman i think while ruck was writing it am i am i right about that or
2: maybe uh... she's did she, she did do a... the annual
1: maybe that could be she did she did some she did a filler issue here or there in rebirth and um i guess i don't remember exactly where but uh you know, just her standard art is is um, a little bit more polished than this. But I really like the I like the way she stages a scene, and I, her characters all look very, um, uh, you know, very handsome or attractive or you know whatever you whatever you want to say. And uh, and I love the the ending with Clayface. Yeah. When when he like. When he like falls off of that um, i don't know patio or whatever down to the bottom, and then he like slowly grows, it's a really cool perspective and a very like the way that it plays out with the um, the sense of timing is is very interesting. Um,
0: the one thing I had forgotten or wasn't aware of whatever was that you have both Diana and Donna Troy and Cassie Sandsmark all part yeah, of Yeah, all
1: that. the all the all the wonders.
0: Yeah. I loved the uh the Dawnstar
2: appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get my Legion fix.
1: That's right. Do, using some Lord of the Rings birds to yes. carry, <laughs> carry <laughs> refugees. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a very cool book. It's a very very well thought out to like meld it with um you know american history and not shy away from some things that you know it feels very wonder woman to be critical of some of these things that they talk about in this book and to find solutions or try to be some sort of resistance you know um yeah really really cool approach um for my money, it's the best thing Marguerite Bennett has done, and she's done a lot of good stuff. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, let's talk about one more book, and then take a quick break. Let's talk about Cyborg Number Sixteen, uh, written by John Semper Jr., illustrated by Will Conrad, and uh, there's another artist on this issue. It's uh come on, scrolly. Girl for me. Anybody have it in front of them?
2: I'm trying, I'm trying.
0: There we go. Uh Alan Jefferson. So Vince should be happy because this issue <laughs> finally deals with the singularity. Yes. Even though this is the singularity aftermath arc, it finally <laughs> addresses the singularity.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um yeah, and actually I thought it was really interesting. Like clearly, John Semper Jr. is is like a fan of the singularity as as, a as like a, a scientific concept. Yeah, yeah. In the in the same way that I am, and is like interested in it, but just had no idea how to ac- incorporate it into a story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, the way that he thought to do it was to have Bleeding Gums Murphy come to cyborg <laughs> in a dream. And and for some reason, this jazz man knows all about the singularity. (laughs) Not that he couldn't... I'm I'm sure he's... Maybe he's read books on the singularity. I know it's like... (laughs) I know it's meant to be like... uh, uh, Jiminy
0: Cricket, essentially.
1: Yes. Yeah, like a figment of his imagination or a guiding spirit or whatever. I get that. It's just really funny that this, like, jazz musician is, like, doing a better job of explaining the singularity than the professor that... that, Cyborg went to see like two or three issues ago that talked about it um, but uh, but I think it's a really fascinating idea. I just don't see it actually. I mean, I feel like there's a way to have cyborg deal with that problem, and i don't I don't feel like uh or that concept, and I don't feel like it's really gonna play out in a story <laughs> so I <don't>
0: well <laughs> i I have two comments with that first of all, I did think. The idea of the of like the, the what do they call it? The um the digiverse?
1: The like, digiverse, yes. The
0: that's, idea... that's not
2: what it's called, is it really?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea of that being shaped like a mother box was that another that cool was... idea. Yeah. Like that's that's a legitimately cool idea. And then like a page later, Bleeding Gum says, Here's a little jazz number called You're Our Only Hope <laughs> and it's all taken away. It's all gone.
2: I'm, yeah. I'm only laughing because when I was a kid, I was a really big. I, I really liked uh, watching Digimon, and okay. that's that's what the the like digital world. Oh, really? Was called yeah. yeah
0: okay, that's
1: interesting.
0: I I'm almost positive. I... <laughs>
1: that was a, that, I thought that was like the first time that this book felt like it was actually. Um you know, in showing the mother box, that it was actually incorporating some... This book has felt very standalone, you know? Yes,
0: yes. Oddly so.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was was an interesting way to sort of meld in a little bit of DC lore. Um, Not that it... I don't think the issue was very entertaining or good, but I really liked that he talked about that idea and dealt with it a little bit. And I feel like if he just could have found a way to make it more a part of the plot, that would have been nice.
0: If this issue finally I'm, I'm had some new ideas. The <laughs> yeah. This issue finally had some new ideas. They were just executed very, very poorly.
1: You're right, Zach. It's the digiverse.
0: Man about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute with more dc 3
2: Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you
0: never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with uh, with a book, and it's called Dastardly and Muttley Number One. It is part of the Hanna Barbera line of DC Comics. Uh, it is. Uh, it's a thing. It's uh it's a thing I don't understand in almost any capacity. Uh I don't know who this book is for. I don't know why this book exists. I don't know uh I don't know what the intent behind almost all of it is.
1: Uh
0: I I don't know what the fuck's going on here, guys. That
1: so, so Is that good or bad?
0: I I don't know. Mostly bad. I,
2: the thing that intrigued me about this issue was the the weird FBI agent who, or CIA or whoever, you know, whatever organization he's with, who was <laughs> affected by... Who, who's the, having,
0: like, a Bugs Bunny freakout?
2: Yeah, yeah. He's like... <laughs> and I'm just... At that point, I was like, I was really like, okay, what is this book? Yep. What's what is happening here?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, we should we should also mention, by the way, uh, written by Garth Ennis, illustrated by Morissette, and uh, yeah.
1: I thought it looked quite good.
2: It does look very good.
0: Yeah, there. I, I have I have no beef with the art. So, uh, go ahead.
1: It, so- it sounds like I. It sounds like I liked it more than both of you.
2: No, I actually... I think I liked it.
1: You think you liked it?
2: I think I liked it. I really can't tell. (laughs) If it's what I think it is going to be, which is like this kind of... weird... It it, it seems almost like... There's like a weird X-Files vibe to it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Um... And some kind of weird Looney Tunes crossover, but in is this is like Looney Tunes Watchmen or something.
1: <laughs> it, it is it, it, well, yeah, that's not that far off. I mean, it's it's almost as if Garth Ennis is saying like, and it's funny because this wouldn't make sense if it cross if this is in the same universe as any of these other Looney Tunes or Hanna Barbera things you know but it's almost as if he's saying like maybe the Looney Tunes or the Hanna-Barbera characters or all of this is some oddity in the world that the government isn't sure of where it comes from yet right and that's why this Agent Perkins is like freaking out about
0: Bugs Bunny he was exposed to the same gas that the characters, neither of which are named Dastardly or Muttly, uh was exposed to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they had their, like, visual hallucinations where, like, Muttly, where Mutt's uh, eyes fell out of his head and all this. And so I feel like this is just, like, showing, like, this is his manifestation of of that experience.
1: Okay, so you think it's more of a throwaway gag?
0: I, I don't I want to say throwaway. I, I just feel like that it, it's trying to show that, like, the, uh, this this weird gas stuff it affects everybody in in like their unique ways or whatever and this is the way that it's affecting this guy
1: okay well that'll be less interesting than like if it's commenting on the world of these anthropomorphic right creatures and things but uh, but I, I I think I liked it for the same reason Zach does like when I got to that part I was like oh this is interesting and I, I have to say it I couldn't resist the part where he says, On a pale horse rides a man named Fudd, and that was all folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a brilliant line. <laughs> um, that's really great. Um, also, Mutley, this is a very timely reference because the fourth season, I think, just came out on Netflix. But Mutley, especially on the cover, looks a lot like Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman. Uh, I don't know if either of you are familiar with that. I am but, not. Uh, yeah, well, he's an anthropomorphic dog, so... Okay. Um,
0: this was the week of anthropomorphic animals in DC Comics. Because the Astro City issue, I don't know if you guys read Astro City or not, mm-hmm. it was all oh, about... Oh, no,
1: but I saw the cover, yeah.
0: It was all about that G-Dog character, and uh, we get a, an anthropomorphic cat in uh, Doom Patrol. Oh, and... yes, we do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, see, again, like... I. I think that this is, this could wind up being very interesting, or it could wind up being very bad, and I, I have—I guess I, I need more information before I make that decision.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. I, I can totally. Yeah, yep. But for right now, Garth Ennis has me. That's good, I guess. He, He's—he spun a little story, and I'm interested.
0: These Hata Barbera books are fucking bizarre. Like, it's really a very weird thing that DC is doing with them. I'm not mad at it. I just think it's very unusual.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I, I, think, I think they've been mostly... Like, I have not enjoyed most of this, right? But I feel like that's better than... I feel like trying something with them is better than uh not doing anything at all with the properties. And I think unless they would intentionally go for an all ages or kids type thing, I wouldn't want to see them just do bland adult recreations of what they already were. Right. So I feel like I like them taking chances. It's just that not many of them have worked out.
0: I mean, I think everybody can pretty much say the Flintstones worked. I think everybody can pretty much say that wacky raceland did not. Yeah, yeah. You know, Scooby Apocalypse somehow still exists.
1: Yeah, which is, I don't think that that's very good either. And what was the other one? Oh, Future Quest, which was a mixed mixed bag, I think. Right. But, you know, we got the Jetsons coming, which I kind of liked the preview for. I liked the art anyway. Get ready like for
0: movie. Rough and Ready from Howard Chicken. <laughs> no, it's gonna be no. a fucking shit show in your face.
1: It'll be far less entertaining than whatever that just was right yeah. there.
0: I'm waiting for my fucking snaggle puss on going.
1: I am too, even. <laughs> Let me take you to my favorite special movie theater, even. <laughs>
0: I like how your impression just puts even at the end of every sentence that's what he says that's what I know, he does. I know, I know
1: even <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that book is going to be crazy because I, I was joking about that I, I, obviously we're joking about how, how over the top that book is but not that much it's going to be a lot of like dry talk about anti-gay legislation in the 50s yeah But, you know, through Snapchat. I'm here here for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Why not, right? Mm -hmm. All right, let's uh, let's take a gander at Deathstroke, number 23, uh, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated by Diogenes Nevis. Um, My only problem with this book is Slade's hair.
1: (laughs) I kind of like it.
2: Yeah, I think I definitely like it.
1: Stupid sexy slade. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, sometimes it feels like he's wearing nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, can I can I tell you what my only problem with this book is?
0: It's too short.
1: It's once a month now. Yeah. And I have to say I really miss I miss the double shipping on this. Yeah. I really do. I I feel like it's been a while since we've read an issue of this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's going to be a while until we read the next one. And I miss it. It's such a good book.
2: Yeah, it was one of the few books that actually, like, worked the double shipping well.
0: Absolutely. I, uh... I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, uh, but I've read a number of reviews, including one on Multiversity, of of the run oh, since this arc has begun, and people have said that they feel like the the book is lacking cohesion. And I I feel the total opposite way. I feel like the book goes in a thousand different directions, but that's part of what makes it so great. Like it's 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 telling a narrative story. From like ten different perspectives, and it's doing it in such a clever way where everything just unfolds in a really interesting manner, and there are neat callbacks. I mean, the amount of editor's notes in this issue is staggering. But oh yeah, <laughs> but it but it's building on the entire run. Like I just feel like it's so expertly crafted. I wouldn't call it scattered or or anything of the sort. I I think it's just a masterful lesson in how to tell a comic story. A complex it's co- story.
1: It's cohesion at its finest, I think. I think like to when they showed when we got the opening scene with those um the men that were working for uh Jezaki.
0: Yeah, in the in the, the, the Rebirth issue.
1: Yeah, that was the very first issue. And like you kinda got their story and we thought we were maybe done with them cuz you know like Slate saved them and then um you know essentially they made like a life debt to him in so, in some sort of way. It was showing Deathstroke's um not soft side but like
0: it was showing his sense of purpose. Like his uh
1: Yeah, per- yes, yeah. 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 And and I, I thought we were done with that, and now they come. It comes full circle, and they're folded back in, and it's in a way that makes perfect sense, and it's in a way that gives Slade an opportunity to show what either what growth or lack of growth he's had, mm-hmm. you know, since then. And like I feel that's so smart. Like Christopher Priest is so smart about using all these elements and reusing them and making them thematic elements to this greater story that he's telling about um slade wilson as a person you know and uh yeah there's like god it's good
2: well it's like it's really cool how that scene kind of mirrors what he's doing with defiance you know like he he's just basically like okay turn out your pockets give me whatever you have here's a contract that says i'm protecting you Mm -hmm. and he you know we've seen the running gag where anytime he saves anyone as the defiance team, he gives them an invoice. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like that weird kind of like emotional barrier. He puts up like, Oh, I'm not doing this. I'm doing, I'm in it for the money. You know, when like, yeah. clearly there's like more to it than that.
1: Slade handing out invoices, by the way, will never get old. Agreed. It's the best. It's so,
0: it's so wonderful. <laughs>
2: Oh man.
0: Um I uh I, I think Nevis is doing a good job on the art. I uh you know, I I will say that this book has has been excellent throughout, but and, and all the art has been very good, but there's been no artist to me that's really stood out as like the star of the book. You know, it it's certainly more a uh dialogue driven book than a visual driven book at times but i think that nevis is doing a nice job with it and uh i uh, i again I, I think slade's hair is a little silly but aside from that i i really like the way he draws uh kid flash and power girl in particular and i thought the time travel element introduced here was very interesting also
1: mhm yes yep and i love i i do love the way he draws their costumes too like they feel very um uh
0: Future they Foundation. Feel
1: like w- What's that?
0: Future Foundation.
1: Yes, but they feel like weighty too. You know, they don't. They feel like there's some. I don't know. There, there's some like heavy dutiness to all the characters. I think. Mm-hmm. Like like when he draws the Slade's icon armor too, you know, like mm-hmm. or the icon suit. I feel like it's there's like some heft to it. I don't
0: know. Yeah, I agree.
2: I, yeah, it's good. I yeah, I think Nevis is like a, a really good fit for the more like superhero esque tone that that this arc has had compared to kind of you know the grittier, more serious stuff. Not that this isn't serious, but it's it's definitely more
0: fun in a way. Yeah,
1: i uh, I was a, I've been a fan of his since. Demon Knights, I think.
0: Yeah. If you're playing the DC three drinking game at home, there's our Demon Knights reference for this episode. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about the issue?
2: Nope, still very good. I do yeah, I wish it was still twice monthly, but what you gonna do?
0: I will say, you know, Aquaman went down to once a month and the quality spiked. It went really, really good, and it was already kinda good before. I feel like this quality, is it was already so high that it's just stayed the same, but we're getting less of it, so it does hurt.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, that brings us to Doom Patrol number 8, written by Gerard Way, illustrated by Nick Darrington. Uh, this was a fucking great issue, guys.
2: This was uh, maybe my favorite young animal issue. Like,
0: single issue? Yeah. Like, single,
2: maybe. I mean, like, some of the bug stuff is up there, too, but, like, there is just so much that happens in this issue, and it's all great.
1: Yeah, and I I think the stuff that happens with Lotion the Cat is the definition of, this is a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's a, there's a lot going on there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, lotion the cat returns as a man cat and proceeds to bone down. Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) and I get hey, he's a good looking cat. I mean, what? I don't blame. Cats are
2: cats are cats are in.
1: Yeah, cats are hot. Yeah, they are, especially this one. The. uh... The lick too was like yeah <laughs> that,
0: that and, whole and just sequences. like
1: sequences <laughs>
2: yeah. that that like starry that like Lisa Frank panel
0: basically <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah that's like that reminds me of uh, this is a really weird reference but um, you know the Wiz episode of Seinfeld have either of you seen that? yes
0: yes yeah. every
1: every time Elaine or every time somebody looks at the wiz i think it's either just Elaine or it's anybody looks at the wiz they see him from the commercial as in as this like movie or no they don't realize he's from the wiz commercial they just think he looks like a movie star and he's got this like twinkly uh yeah it's like a tw- there's like a glow to him and there's like a twinkly around him and he looks a little different yeah it's already it's already the strongest man in the world by the way is that character
0: oh my goodness you're right
1: yeah. <laughs> but uh but that that's what that reminded me of cuz like in that panel too he, lotion looks a little different. Um
2: I mean, let's just like talk about so like this issue has like Larry's shadow thing converting time displaced versions of people into different people so that they can like interact with each other. We have weird anthropomorphic cat love we have um a kid performing like weird witch rituals with a dead
1: squirrel (laughs) which they keep they keep going to in doom patrol and that's like the one aspect of this book that hasn't quite folded in with everything else but i'm really interested in it you know every time they show it i'm invested
2: and then and then we have you know the the shit commercial yeah <laughs>
1: that, that was great <laughs> that was fantastic um i love the this i love this book's obsession with like future food yeah like shit and they had like the meat from the, the like Danny Land meet, yep. From like earlier issues, it's very, it's almost commentary on modern society, but not too heavy-handed or anything. I thought my favorite scene was the, the scene with Larry, uh, when he's lying on the, he's lying on the couch or whatever, and he's experiencing. Uh, some a subconscious experience as that like shadow creature says
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: and it shows him like as a baby and then on this journey and i love i love the narration there like it made me the narration made me feel what was going on in that journey that he's going on in those nine panels it was really well done
0: yeah agreed yeah yeah this this book is just it's
2: something else. Yeah.
1: Postcoital cat.
2: <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, things I didn't expect in my comics this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that brings us to Green Arrow number thirty, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Otto Schmidt. We get the return of the Green Arrow Green Lantern partnership in this issue. Mm hmm. Um. What'd you guys think of it? Otto oh, yeah. Schmidt
1: can draw Hell Jordan anytime.
0: Yep. Months.
2: That was my takeaway too.
1: <laughs> I thought Percy did a really great job with their uh friendship dynamic.
0: Mhm.
1: Um and I thought the art was just outstanding. I I'm over the moon for Otto Schmidt's art.
0: Yeah. Can we all agree that this is by far the best arc of this book so far?
1: Yeah. In a book that was also pretty good. It's been pretty good since the beginning.
0: And it's dropping down to monthly as of November.
1: Mm, that's right.
0: Or October, perhaps. Uh, anyway, it's dropping down to monthly soon. Um, but yeah, I, I think that this issue does everything about as well as you could expect it to do. I thought there was a lot of fun with like Ollie getting a green space suit <laughs> from yeah. HAL. You know, uh, it's just it's a it's a really really well done issue. It doesn't try to do too much. Um, There's a fun cliffhanger there. I really like the Emmy Black Canary uh, like friendship that's forming, Mm -hmm. relationship forming. I I think this book has it's just you know not to compare it too much to Aquaman or Deathstroke. But both of these books have... All three of these books have really doubled down on creating a supporting cast. And not necessarily out of brand new characters, either. But just giving the supporting cast a bigger role than perhaps they had in the past. So, you know, like, you get a lot of... Every issue seems to have a little bit of Emmy or a little bit of Black Canary. The the idea of Seattle as a, as a character in the book is very much real. It's just it feels like a very complete, well thought out Green Arrow book.
1: Yes, and um, and it includes some of the like Percy's done a good job of including a little bit of like the political stuff that Green Arrow's kind of become known for in the comics at least. Um, he does a little bit of that at the beginning of the issue, but it's not too. Well, I, it's it's a little heavy-handed, but it's very brief, so Right. You know, you're not I think I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think it's appropriate for a Green Arrow comic. Um kind of like political anxieties and stuff that he's reflecting on and and then it also does like really big science fictiony comic ideas like going to the dark side of the moon. Um Yeah. A lot of
0: fun. Anything else to add, Zach? No,
2: nope, it was good. I, I'm glad that this issue. I'm glad that this issue or this like section is getting an extra issue, like the Green Lantern bit, because yes. it was like very dense already, and I, I was you know already kind of most of these have been sort of like one and dones and and i'm glad that this one's getting a little bit more room to breathe and i I guess is the next issue the conclusion to this arc
0: i believe so
2: i think it is it seems like a lot of arcs are wrapping up at issue 31 yeah or roundabouts i think i think the next book is also wrapping up at 31 so maybe that's why i'm thinking that
0: yeah I just think it makes sense, you know, 32 is sort of the, uh, the like, year and a half mark. Mm-hmm. So it's a good place to start some new stories, I suppose. Um, but speaking of that next book, that is Green Lanterns, number 30. This is uh, another Volthoom story. Unfortunately, it's not a Frank Leminski story. It, it oh, feels a lonely. lot like a
2: Frank Leminski story though. Well that's
0: why I'm bringing it up cuz it feels a whole lot like a Frank Leminski story. Uh, is that good or bad yeah, I remember.
2: Frank Leminski boner?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's not it's not good Vince, but it's but it's certainly uh I feel like with Frank Leminski there was more uh I don't know. Anyway, this is this is written by Sam Humphries illustrated by Carlo Barberi. And uh I feel like if this issue didn't end with Baz getting these rings, then I was going to throw my, I don't know, shoe at the screen or something. It seems so obvious that as these lanterns are dying, there's somebody who is literally right there who has the ability to overcome great fear. If those rings didn't fly to him, it would have been a very, very dumb book. But it's, but it's also like all
2: of these characters were just like, cannon fodder oh yeah they're all red shirts yeah like this whole arc has been about just like watching these characters do really nothing at all and then we go up for like the big final battle and they all just bite it i hated it it's really dumb yeah it's really what a what a waste And and like, I guess the only there are like a few who are left, and I'm wondering if maybe those like there was like a you know okay we're going to keep a few of them around to to. At
0: least not that there were they're not uh, but they're not going to stay ten million years in the past or whatever.
2: No, I, I yeah I would I think that maybe they would like come forward. Like I think the isn't the the Martian the white Martian is still alive and maybe the the. Girl from Kalu
0: the brainiac girl, yeah, I don't think we see them die, but we t- we saw uh k2 s no die, yeah yeah uh like I said i I feel like the uh the ending of the book was very telegraphed in terms of uh you know um Simon getting the rings. But I also feel like the end of the book was telegraphed from the beginning. Because I feel like Humphreys did so little to give these characters anything resembling a personality. So when they all died, it's like, oh, of course, because they are just, you know, husks of characters. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. What do you guys think of Barbary's art? It was, it was fine. It was serviceable. Yeah, I actually kind of liked it in some of the other art of this arc.
1: Yeah, I think Barbary's good. He's, he's been on some other things. Did he do like an issue of Superman or something? It doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> he's yeah, he, he's he's really good. Um, wish it was on a better book.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh. Speaking of a surprisingly better book, Justice League number 28, uh, written by Brian Hitch, illustrated by Fernando Pissarin. I'm still enjoying this arc.
2: Yeah, this arc is still really good, and it it kind of makes me want to go back and reread, like, at least a few of the other things. Because I think I kind of just, like, glazed over a lot of stuff, and now I can't really remember a lot of the things that they're referencing. But... It's good.
1: Yeah, I, uh... It kind of disappointed me by going to a very expected place by the end of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, with the whole, like, we must kill Wonder Woman thing. Of course, that hunter guy is going to turn out to be, like, the antagonist of this story. Um... Sorry, I'm going to sneeze. That's all right. Someone, someone else. Bless you. Bless you, sir. Edit
0: that
2: out, Brian.
1: Nope. Get those demons out. Yeah. <laughs> Put that at the end of
0: the show. I already have my stinger, I told you. Um, okay. uh, but yeah, I, I agree that the Wonder Woman thing was a little bit uh, expected. But I, I'm sort of shocked at how much I'm enjoying seeing the Justice League characters dealing with their kids. I feel like those yeah. scenes those scenes are very heartfelt.
2: I I really like the the Jess and Barry stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think Barry and uh Dick are gonna have a battle for Coxman of the Rebirth era.
1: <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> But it's definitely uh, Dick,
0: though. Oh, it's totally Dick. We know that, but, you know. But, but Barry has... Barry's had... Uh... <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I guess
2: he's, like... I mean, Iris, Jess, uh, the other speedster. The other speedster, yeah. Um, he's a real ladies' man. Yeah. <laughs> uh...
0: um, yeah, I think that the Hitch and Passarin team has been quite good on this, and I wish that the other stories they had told were this interesting. Because this isn't all that different sort of in tone from the other stories they've done. They've all had this sort of sci-fi, end of the world bent, but this one just seems to have so much more heart.
1: Yeah. Yes. I think that's the key. I mean, their last arc was what that one where they kept experiencing like the same moments in time over and over again yeah and that was just so like by its nature and without any heart so repetitive and frankly kind of annoying
0: (laughs) and that one even had there was a little bit of the guy with his family remember his family was coming to see him give the presentation then he was going to blow them up like there there was the potential to have more heart there but it just fell on its face a little bit yeah. Um. I, forgot, I was gonna say
2: something. Oh yeah. um uh, Fernando Passaro's art is really good in this. I think it. Sometimes I th- I think it feels like a little stilted.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, but... I, I think especially when he's doing like a, a close up of somebody's face. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's not so great, but overall, I am enjoying it. I believe this has one or two more issues as well. Yeah, I think this
2: wraps up with let's see, 20, I think thirty-one is the last issue of this arc, too. Yeah.
1: And then, didn't Hitch say that that was it for him?
2: That is it. Yeah, he, yeah. Oh, I think uh, we have like a few metal tie-in issues, and then I don't, I don't know if they've announced what's they coming after that. They haven't. Hick, Hickman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh yeah. It's a hick man. Uh. Yeah.
1: wait, wait, no, I know what's really gonna happen. What's that? It's gonna be Sam it's gonna be Sam Humphreys.
0: I'm actually I think you're right. <laughs> I'm not even joking. You think? <laughs> oh.
1: he's, he's gonna that's where he's gonna write Simon and Jess.
0: He said he was offered a gig he couldn't say no to and that's why he's leaving Green Lanterns. There you go. So oh, she Oh man, I know. Oh. Yeah.
1: Wow. I, I I I still have not given up on him as a writer. I've just given up on his Green Lanterns, so I'm holding out hope.
0: I just hope that they make uh, as uh, easily tweetable emojis for the rest of the characters in that book. (laughs) Yep. All right. That brings us to Nightwing number 28, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Javier Fernandez. And uh, this is the... uh, the Spiral finale. Uh, we also got some uh, Miguel Mendonca art in this issue, and I, I'm a fan of both of those guys. Uh, this this had a lot of stuff tying in from the Grayson book. There were a number of editor's notes about Grayson in here. Uh, and this felt like both the, uh, the conclusion of a lot of that stuff, but also the start of something new. And uh, I really enjoyed this issue. What did you guys think? Yeah, this
2: was this was super good. Um, really satisfying, like wrap up to this arc. Um, really good stuff with the the um, what what is their group called? The like X villains. Oh, uh, we always.
0: Yeah, we fuck this up this. every time.
2: Uh, the, the, the runoffs.
1: The runoffs.
0: Yeah,
2: I think that's right. Yeah, really good stuff with them. Um. Surprising in like an issue that clearly like wasn't focused on them. It was like way more about the spiral stuff, but everything with them, I thought, really hit a good tone, you know, a good note. So, and then of course, like the spiral stuff was all really, really good.
1: Yeah. Speaking of, I mean, this is like Christopher Priest bringing all of his stuff full circle. Mm -hmm. I feel like Tim Seeley is doing that too. Um. Actually, Tim Seeley's writing, it's almost like a spiral because, like, he's not bringing anything full circle, but he's bringing all this stuff back in, and then they'll go away. And then he'll come back around to it. You know, he's going to go back to Raptor, it looks like. Yep. So I love the way he does that because it's building a world that feels intimate. You know, it's not just, like, it's not just... Uh, oh, now we have to move on and and uh, he's got to take on another Nightwing villain from the past or whatever. It's literally circling back to characters and concepts that Tim Seeley enjoys using and is good at writing. So, like, to get Raptor back, to me, that's it's the right time for it, and it's preferable to him moving Dick to somewhere else entirely, you know?
0: Right. Uh, This had perhaps the darkest moment in any Rebirth book when, uh, (laughs) when Mr. Minos is dying and he says, is there something after this? And Dick says, I don't know. No one does. And he says, I hope so. Otherwise, what is the point of existing a short amount of time, executing the whims of an unknown creator only to disappear into the darkness forever? And he's like fading away as he says it. It's incredibly bleak and sad. Yeah.
1: I think about that all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. About, don't worry. About.
1: I thought you were going to say the darkest moment was when uh, Sean saw uh, Dick and Helena doing it. and uh... Or wait, that wasn't Helena, was it? Yeah, it no, was. No, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I. Sorry, I was thrown off for a second by her... Yeah. Uh, some... Yeah. Sorry. Something about her didn't look like the way that she looks in
0: um back around the birds of prey
1: birds of prey yeah 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 um yes it was that was dark too it
0: That's was I'm but i think that uh you know obviously this is painting dick to be kind of a well a dick um but i feel like he's a single bachelor man yeah Play on player.
1: I'm not saying I'm not saying he's in the wrong. It's just, it's just I'm a not, heartbreaking. I'm
0: not saying you were saying that. I, I think clearly it's trying to show him as you know. As uh, perhaps. A coxman. Yeah, a coxman, as I said earlier. So. <laughs> um. But yeah, this book is great. It's it's interesting how a number of these books took a a little detour for an arc that we were not a fan of but came back just as strong. And that blockbuster arc left all of us a little cold, but this was as good as anything silly has done on the on the title. Mhm. That's good. That's real good. Speaking of real good, we got Shade the Changing Girl number 12, written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarkoni, and uh Vincent, you took to Twitter to praise this issue.
1: Oh God, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Where do I begin? This was so good. If this might be my favorite young animal issue, you know,
2: it's definitely a contender. Yeah, because man, it wraps up everything so well in like such a satisfying way. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that. So Doom Patrol's probably, that Doom Patrol issue may be my second favorite, but this is probably my favorite. Just because, like you said, Zach, it, it wraps up everything so perfectly. It brings back Rackshade. Yeah. For a significant role. And it gets extremely trippy. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, and, uh, basically, like, choose your own. Uh, oh, that that was The fantastic. spin the pencil page,
0: yeah. yes,
1: what does it say? Place the pencil in the middle of this page and spin where it lands is where you read first. What a great like that's so in the spirit of this book and these kinds of books where it's being meta about how you read comics and you know the t- the t- way you experience a story and um. Yeah. It's so good. And and Marley Zarkoni's art. Oh god. It's it's so expressive and and makes me feel things, you guys.
0: This yeah. this I mean I think Zarkoni's art has been great the whole time. This mm-hmm. issue felt like the most um maybe already influenced one she mm-hmm. one that's been there, you know, it it really really works but it has just a little bit more of a uh I, I think i think maybe it's the rack shade stuff just just gave me that obviously old vertigo feel you know it was just great it was everything about this issue worked perfectly as you guys said it wrapped up everything it puts the book in an interesting place to start from when it comes back next year
1: yeah new status quo sort of
0: yeah yeah
2: and so i guess i I kind of wanted to talk about, so, you know, we had the the earlier plot point where Shade was, became, like, pregnant, and it seems like the Shade we have now w- was that baby, sort of, because, like, Megan basically, like, she got, like, chest bursted.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how Is, that, took is it. that how
2: you guys read it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. I
2: just want to make sure. I yeah, thought that's that, what it was because there was like all the
1: egg imagery as well. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that thing that happened like four or five issues ago where it was the little interlude at the end of the impregnation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I want to talk about the backup too just a little bit.
0: Yeah. Go uh, for it. It's
1: also – Written by Cecil Castellucci, but illustrated by Katie Jones. Essentially, it's just a a poem, basically. Yeah. But oh my god, the art is so like weird, and it's like there's there's uh, it deals with with Loma and Lee Puck, um, but it's just so trippy in. Things like folding in on like everything's folding in on itself, and uh, it's it's really, really weird and really good. the art's really good, and I had a question though uh it shows Lee puck wearing a vest and he's got a chainsaw and a um scarf, yeah, and a weird hat. is that a reference to something specific that outfit I don't know. It seemed really familiar, um, actually, to make another uh, Pete and Pete reference. Like, it reminded me a lot of what <laughs> little Pete is wearing sometimes. If
0: Pete he had Pete. a petunia tattoo, it would be Yeah, perfect. that would have
1: been a dead giveaway, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't know. I I just thought that stood out, and I thought, well, am I missing something here? But
0: I didn't but man, see it that, as a particular reference, but it was great. Yeah.
1: Okay, wasn't sure.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I mean to say that young animal has exceeded all expectations is really underselling it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think I think before it all started, we kind of envisioned it, you know, in our wildest dreams as like a new vertigo. Where it would become really cool, like, it'd be very hip for people to come and work for, work on young animal books, you know? Uh And it would spawn this entirely new line of whatever. Well,
0: have you you seen the rumored creators for round two?
1: No. No. I was just going to say I haven't seen anything in the way of new books or new creators, but maybe I just missed something. Hang on. And so what I was going to say was, I don't know if it's necessarily inspired like, in the way that Vertigo did, but it definitely reaches that level of quality pretty much across the board. And I think in reality, that's more than we could have asked for. But, but if you've got a tip on like new creators, that's...
0: I, I can't find it now. Uh, there was Somebody found the announcement for the New York Comic Con Young Animal panel. And the only name that's jumping out at me is Josh Williamson.
1: Hold on. Kylie um, Rossmo, Tim Seeley, Cy Spurrier, Megs Visaggio, uh, yeah. Joshua Williamson, and others. Is that
0: just Young Animal, or is that Vertigo and Young Animal?
1: The panel's a mix of Vertigo and Young Animal. The two lines seem to be edging ever closer. Okay. Tim Seeley's got a new Vertigo book coming. I think that yes, he's... he does. So,
0: but a Riley Rossmo young animal book. Holy shitballs. balls!
1: Yeah, and Magdalena F- yeah. exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Eisbreuer's uh, interesting. I'm. I'm like. I like some of what he's done for sure. Agreed. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, that brings us to our final book of the week, which is Superman number thirty, re- illustrated by Keith Champagne, illustrated by Ed Bennis, Tyler Kirkham, and Philip Tan. Um, there's one part of this I really loved. What did you guys think of this issue?
1: I, I thought I, I liked this as a little two-issue sort of getaway from. Tomaski and Gleason, but um, in particular, what was interesting to me is uh, Sinestro essentially declaring him part of Superman's uh, Rogues Gallery. Yeah. Now, you know that was really cool. You've made you will come to fear the enemy you've made this day, Kryptonian. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It
2: it seemed like a really weird. It's it's really weird to me that this arc happened, <laughs> but I liked it. I actually I actually really kind of liked it a lot. Because I think it stayed pretty true to the the Tomasi e. Gleason um, kind of vision for this
0: series. Yes.
2: Um and it, it's I also just like really like this, you know, lantern stuff and And it it kind of was cool seeing Sinestro um, kind of, you know, pinned against Superman. And, yeah,
0: it was cool. I liked it. The part that I loved was that Superman is essentially being compassionate even to Parallax.
1: Mm -hmm. he says I know
0: you're scared right now Parallax but you'll be safe inside the ring I promise I won't let Sinestro use it again I'm gonna ask Hal Jordan to deliver you to Mogo the Green Lantern's are best equipped to care for you there you'll be safe just the idea that Superman is so full of compassion that even the fucking fear entity he he feels (laughs) something for I I think that's so perfectly Superman
1: yeah yeah and that that also sets it up as a sort of a, a genie that's gonna be let out of the bottle at some point
0: right yeah
2: Right, which apparently this is going to, like, follow up in Hal Jordan Mm. and the Green Lantern Corps after this, like, current arc wraps
0: up.
1: Mm -hmm. Cool.
0: Um, So. Based on this, I wouldn't mind Keith Champagne writing more Green Lantern stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, I guess Tim Seeley's doing it, but, you know, Green Lanterns wouldn't be a... No,
0: Seeley's doing Green Lanterns.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't. I, I was just thinking because Sam Humphreys is leaving. Oh, okay.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah,
1: that's that's why. I brought oh, okay, it up.
0: I, but I wouldn't mind him taking over Hal Jordan. I mean, I, I I like some of what Venditti's doing, but Champagne seemed to get it for me. You know, like he yeah, he, he yeah. seemed to get the concepts here.
2: Also, can I say that this issue had some pretty good Philip Tan
0: art? It did. This was the good Philip Tan. Yep. The ever-elusive Philip Tan. (laughs) Well, that Uh, does it for this week of comics, guys. Yeah. Some good stuff. Some not-so-good stuff. Uh, As a reminder, uh, next month we're starting our big uh, reading uh, book club, whatever we're calling it. Zach has picked the original Legion Lost 12-issue miniseries. So start reading along with that. I think we're going to do, what do we say, three issues a week? Mm Mm-hmm. So, have the first two issues ready for the first Wednesday in October. And uh, you can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at BrianEdenApp.
1: I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And it's Packer season, so, you know, mute, unfollow as necessary.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm at SirFox89.
0: And we'll be back next week with a, uh, a short interview from a special guest as well as our regular show. So thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy.
1: Digimon, digital Monsters Digimons are the
2: champions.